Welcome to She Breathes Soul Stories, From Triumph to Transformation, a new woman's movement and podcast. I'm your co-host, Jen Galbrand. And I'm your co-host, Rachel Barillary. Welcome. Shout out to David Amaral and Global Note Digital Art Studio for hosting our program. Our first storyteller today is Paula Reardon-Webster, and she is a mindfulness facilitator, a coach, a teacher of Tai Chi. She's currently doing storytelling and working with the intergenerational models of healing. And the title of her story is Enough, which aims to teach us about that programming that is within all of us that tells us that we're simply not good enough. Welcome, Paula. Mm, Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Rachel. So good to be here today. So I think what I'll do is right out of the gate, read a little bit of of enough, and that will be enough, right? Exactly. (laughs) Enough, a simple word, just six letters, so many vowels, not an easy mark for Scrabble, and most definitely not an easy word to embody. Enough. And yet this cute little six-letter, single-syllable word has been a tyrant in my life, generally in stealth mode, eventually letting me look it in the eye as it reared its bothersome head. I need to acknowledge right off the bat that as a 60-plus-year-old who has had the privilege of participating in 12-step recovery for decades and in therapy a bit longer, I very clearly see that enough is not my booby prize to carry alone in this world. It is the door prize for many of us. That and its best friend not worthy. Perhaps it's a gang that includes unlovable and its many variants, and like a virus. It's a trademark for those of us who grew up in alcoholic homes and dysfunctional homes. Heck, a lot of those born into Western civilization are branded with these monikers upon birth. My relationship with Enough started as a young child. One of my first memories is of vomiting on myself in the crib when I was perhaps two or three years old. I was old enough to eat grown-up food, and I remember what I had eaten or what reappeared. It was dinty Moore beef stew. My parents were downstairs in the kitchen drinking, so I knew not to disturb them by crying. So I didn't. I went to sleep in my pile of puke. Nice. The trajectory of becoming was slow and steady for me, but putting one foot in front of the other, life gradually got better. Anxiety was always lurking in the background. I was not aware that the soundtrack to my life was stuck on the inner critic channel, pretty much always. I should have been promoted sooner. I should have taken that other job, should have finished my MBA, should have gotten married already when I had the chance. The big stuff was fodder for the self-flagellation. And all the small stuff was as well. I swam against the tide with therapy, prayer, and meditation. And whatever self-help program came along, I was doing okay being me. At 38, I took the plunge and got married. I was in love with my husband, and he was with me. There was a number of issues he hadn't dealt with in his own traumatic upbringing. But that's okay. I can help with that. (laughs) He was and still is a good man. The only thing better than one person who feels like they're not enough are two people together. 
Working as controller at a renowned hospital, my career was going well, and Hubby's HVAC business started growing by leaps and bounds. We were quite a team. He might have had a wee bit more intensity than me, but I was up for this busy, busy life. I actually fell in love with the busy, which feels like a healing balm for not enough. Mm, I love that line. So beautiful. Because it's and so compelling. True. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true, right? Like getting caught up in, like, I feel like busy is like we're doing, 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 and it makes us feel like checking those boxes. And I'm enough. I'm meeting that, filling that cup to the brim, but it's it's not. It's a, it's, yeah, it's like a band-aid for what's really going on underneath the surface. Yeah. An old friend of mine used to talk about addiction to checking off the next box, you know, like we could be done right now, but let's do one more thing. That's resonant with me a little bit. (laughs) A lot of it. I think we could all relate to that. Yeah. For sure. So, Paula, thank you so much for for sharing and for your courage, first of all, in writing the story and then sharing it with all of us. What would you say inspired you to want to be a part of this when we reached out to you and invited you to join our project? I, you know, well, I love you, Jen, and I love all the work you do and all this type of, you know, uh, healing, transformational work. And we cannot do it all, right? (laughs) We think, well, you think you can and you can. But, um... We, uh, you know, do what we can. And I do believe in the power of storytelling more now than ever. I think that um, many people feel like, well, you know, what's the difference if I say it or not or write it or not? But it made a difference to me. And if it makes a difference to someone else, that's wonderful, too. And um, I think that, you know, the power of a collective of people is really amplified. So I appreciate being asked to be included in this project. You know, if it helps one person, isn't that amazing? It already helped me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would you describe that it helped you, like, if you could? I think it brought this more to the surface, and it's not that uh, things haven't been dealt with along the way, but I think it's, as someone had said to me at one point, it's like a spiral staircase where you look back um, at things, and it's from a different level. So it helped me, and believe it or not, since I wrote this, this has come up in so many different ways in in work I'm doing, you know, with myself, with grief work, and, you know, the passages I'm going through now, and how, you know, they refer back to these initial traumas. So, Paula, I'd love to circle back to the main the the main essence of this story and it's this concept of enough and I know so many people struggle with this am I enough am I doing enough am I beautiful enough am I smart enough am I brave enough etc cetera, etc cetera. and I feel like I have lots of thoughts on this is it a construction of the ego is it something you know we learn I would just love to know mm. what do you think about it and where are you with this concept now Wow, it's <clears throat> that is the question, Rachel, and um, I think that you know if you can figure that one out, you will be—I don't know—the queen of the universe here. But um, I think it's multifaceted. I mean, Jen alluded at the beginning to the fact that we're programmed so early, and Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about you know in our first seven years of life, all the programs are established. 
why these programs, societal, I mean, I think, you know, when you look at, um, oh, like Buddhism and Tibetan culture and the Dalai Lama, you know, when, when, uh, question, saw the word self-compassion and that, that doesn't even exist because they all have compassion there for self and others. So it, it is cultural. And I think the nature of Western civilization continues to feed that with we're capitalist, advertising, social media. A lot of people are swimming against the tide right now, trying to come back to what seems to be originally what's real, what's important, what's the essence of being human. We have souls. We have spirits. Um, so... I think it's really a, a matter of programming. For some people, it's worse. It's family dysfunction, but it's there. It's there. So on the lines of the of programming, I think that's mm. super important to highlight, right? Like we're programmed from what we consume at a young age, what we hear, and these thoughts become the thought forms that are running mm. in our brain. So say somebody's becoming aware of this and they are re- recognizing these thoughts of I'm not enough this or that or just not enough. Is there a thought that you would um, suggest replacing that with to help start to undo some of that programming? Well, I think that the awareness of that, and that's where mindfulness comes in and not letting the thoughts run the show, not letting the wake drive the boat, right? How things were doesn't have to be how things are going to be. And so if you're brought up, you know, thinking, I must, I should, all those shoulds that were in my story, you know, get through college, get through grad school, get a certain amount of, you know, well-paying jobs, and then get married, blah, 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 the whole program. You know, if we take ourselves off autopilot, which is where mindfulness comes in, living intentionally, paying attention to where our awareness is, including these thoughts, this soundtrack to our life, that's a big step. And then we can say, that makes sense, or that doesn't make sense to me. Mm. And wouldn't you think also, Paula, I mean, we put so much emphasis on the external, mm. the you know, receiving approval from other people, mm. from outside of ourselves, mm. because that is, again, how we are taught to, to feel and to think and to behave. But if we can teach ourselves to, to really, what matters most is how we're understanding ourselves. And how we're showing up and does that feel in alignment for us? And maybe if we can shut out a little bit of the external, you know, expectations that we're trying to all live up to or these comparisons that we're making to one another that just quieting that noise, right, Mm. makes such, I think that is where you have to start. Definitely, definitely. The distraction is incredible. And, um, you know, we all love the pretty shiny objects they're they're amazing but that's not what's real for us you know and and so can we find balance with that can we live in this world if we can't we don't have to we can just move to the farmlands like so many people are doing get away from it all but can we you know train our minds and our bodies and our spirits to have a different way of living and don't you feel, guys, that just this whole process of what we're discovering here, this storytelling, this showing up, this sharing our kind of vulnerable selves with one another mm-hmm. is a is a way for us to connect in a more meaningful way because of what you mentioned earlier. 
you share something, it resonates with another person, and then that you feel that sort of sense of humanity or connection again, that you're not alone and that, wow, you know, I'm just on a journey like everyone else. (laughs) And it's like you and it's not just me. You know, I'm not. Yeah. Like you were saying, it's not just me that's dealing with this. And I think um, so much of our culture, even though I think we're seeing strides away from this, which is good. I think so much of our culture is about separateness, is about even our bodies, you know, like these separate individual spaces. And I think when we share stories, it like transcends the separateness in our bodies themselves. And it's like that one mind, that collective experience and recognizing like within the person across from me is the same, you know, so much of the same. We're we're more alike than we are different. Right. All of us. And stories, I think, really help because the mind and brain loves neurologically too, just love stories. It's such a natural way to to build that, I think. For sure. Build kinship, really. I love that word, kinship. Yeah, Yeah. we need it so badly. I mean, as humans, right, we we all crave the sense of belonging. Mm. And I think that's why we're sometimes so fearful of being real and raw because of this fear of not being accepted or of not belonging. Well, what if they reject me? Because because it's like, what if this is wrong with me? Right. Right. So like, what if they see this weakness or this quote unquote bad thing and then I'm rejected from right. from belonging because I it's shameful. Right. So let's just hide because it's right. safer. But I'm wrong. Or let's buy that purse on Instagram because everyone <laughs> else is buying it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right? Exactly. Right. Oh, that exactly. is so true. That is yeah. so true. I'm curious, Paula, about um, how did the people in your life respond to your being so raw and vulnerable? Because I know for uh, as as somebody who did this and wrote my book and then encouraged all of you to do the same, there's that sort of moment where you hit that that the brakes and you're like, whoa, you know, I don't want to share all these parts of me because of how people will respond. Did you experience that at all during the process? That sort of like, what am I doing? Well, it's interesting because actually I didn't share this with people I know. <laughs> you didn't. And I came to the day when we did the the reading uh, at We Breathe Wellness, and um, I said to people, oh, I need to go read my story from this book. And, oh, I didn't know you were doing that. People I talk to weekly or daily. I just forgot to mention it. Oh, I was going to say, what was that about? Did you just forget? I know. <laughs> it's just, yeah, how important is it, really? And it is important. It is important. I can see now through doing this and through reading the stories of the other women here. I mean, there's really something for everyone, right? It's a buffet of transformational stories. So yeah. um, take what you need and leave the rest. Or, you know, I applaud everyone for doing it and I applaud myself and I will tell people I'm telling people right now for goodness sakes aren't I <laughs> do you feel like it was yeah. empowering I mean what's the word that you would describe from for your from your experience of being a part of this or any insights any insights um, that kind of came up for you it it was again like the insight of oh you know, just because you say something out loud doesn't mean you've addressed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it allowed me to get to a deeper level with it. And um, it was meaningful and strengthening. So, um, you know, it, it just strengthened my commitment to moving forward and, you know, helping myself and others in this world. 
Moving up that spiral staircase. Beautiful. Moving yeah. up the spiral staircase. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. So what would you say to other women who are considering accepting our invitation to join this sort of truth-telling adventure? Mm, I think it's so expansive to the heart. It really is because, um, and I, I, I've had conversations over the years with people where we might be in a situation to talk about, I feel like I'm not enough, I feel like I'm unlovable. And they would say, are you kidding me? Me too. Mm. And like, it's a deep, dark secret. No one else got the instruction manual that was def defective, really. And so I think to really open your heart and feel part of community of healing with this stuff, not to be mundane, but it is. It's the truth of it and a new way of living with it and walking, you know, into the light in kinship. Thank you so much for, so for sharing with us today so. and for expanding on your thought process and who you are. And I feel like I've already learned so much from you. So And about you. That's yeah. what's so beautiful about this process. You know, we walk around looking at the outside of each book, and sometimes we don't bother to pick it up and read it and learn the story of, of one another. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you were our first storytelling guest on this podcast. Thank you, Paula. Well, thank you. It's been an honor, a privilege, and it was fun. So thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Do you have a story to tell? Give us a call at the We Breathe Wellness Center at 508-343-7211 or send us an email at jen at jengulbrand.com. That's J-E-N-N -N at J-E-N-N-G-U-L-B-R-A-N-D.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Our next storyteller is Courtney Ritchie, an Oracle Cards, Akashic Records reader, a Reiki practitioner, firewalker, and herbal medicine student. Her story is called Wounds to Wisdom, in which she shares the insight and learnings that she's gained through her own traumatic life experiences. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you for having me. But it starts at part one. I never really had a place to, I called home. I was born in Massachusetts, but turned 18 in a state far from here. I was a high school varsity cheerleader. No pets, no siblings that ever lived at home. It was a pretty quiet and lonely life. My adoptive mother had untreated mental illness and addiction issues. She worked nights and stayed busy with other things, so she was never really around much. It had been that way since uh, the divorce back in middle school moving someplace new every year of high school, a new school, new people, new state, new life. We moved there in August, just in time for my junior year of high school to begin. A few weeks after my 18th birthday in December, she packed all, all of her things up and left on a whim. She decided North Carolina was the place to be. So off she went. Lucky for me, my stuff was still there. I moved to a homeless shelter in the nearest city and got back into school to finish my junior year. A few months later, I dropped out and enrolled in night school. I started dyeing my hair rainbow, bright colors, wore very heavy black eyeliner, and looked like kind of something out of Hot Topic. 
I was able to secure myself a room in a transitional living program until I moved in with my boyfriend at the time. We were 18 and meant well. He played bass in a band. I worked as a florist at the local grocery store. Things fizzled out between us in under a year, and I moved back to the city with a friend I knew who was always letting people crash at her place. Uh, Though I had applied for local jobs everywhere I could find, never got hired. I thrived on being popular and well-liked. There was always a party going on somewhere. That's how I met Paige, one day at a house party. She was my age. She was tall with the rainbow top hair and had a car, money, drugs, and a badass attitude. We quickly became best friends. I didn't know it at the time, but that girl was going to teach me better life lessons than any parent I've ever met. But there were different kinds of life lessons, the kind you only gain from experience. Though my mother growing up was an addict, I actually managed to stay on the straight and narrow up until she ditched me. Yeah, maybe a little weed here and there, but to me that was nothing. It was actually Paige who introduced me to the wonderful world of drugs and the very interesting people that lived there. I thought of it as nothing more than buying a bag of feelings, and I really assumed that everyone else did too at the time. Armless, really, just bags of fun. People looked like they had so many friends and were having so much fun, and I wanted to be a part of that. So down the rabbit hole we went. The great thing about Paige was that she had a house out in the woods where we could practically live in between our drug adventures. There were no rules, no consequences, no issues, or so I thought. The glory days didn't last long. Fast forward a year and the scene began to look a lot different. For everyone around me, those harmless bags of fun turned into absolute necessities to get through a simple day. I didn't understand it. Paige and everyone else around me could not live without it every day. It got so bad that I even watched Paige shoot up into an infection into her arm. They would get physically ill without it, but I never had that problem. It's fine just smoking a little weed the day after doing any hard narcotic. It was around that time when I began to truly understand the power of addiction and the tight reins that it apparently held on most people. By the time I had turned 20, most of my friends had either overdosed and died, gone to chill, or in a seriously bad place. I had watched several people overdose in front of me and at the same time saw the entire house of people flee the scene instead of calling for help. I had involved myself with obnoxious criminals who preyed on completely innocent people for the sole purpose of getting more drugs. Frankly, I really hated who I was becoming. I took a break from the drugs while some friends were away. Once the fog in my brain cleared for a second, I took a leap of faith and reached out to an old friend from my freshman year of high school in Massachusetts. Courtney, thank you. How did the act of revealing that very personal story contribute to your own sense of self and empowerment? I'm just curious, because that's that's quite a story. Because I realized that People, once I started, like, doing healing and stuff, people almost started to look up to me, and they, like, almost wanted to, people almost wanted to be like me, but I thought it was really, really important to understand how and what it took for me to get to the 
where I am today, like someone who can actually inspire someone the truth. I wanted to be totally honest and about where I came from and how it all started because it's not just about the successes and the pretty. The truth is I I lived a pretty terrible life. I made terrible choices and I need to be honest about those because that's what made me who I am today. And had I never had those experiences or met those people or made those mistakes, I don't think I could ever be the messenger healer that I am today. So it's important to acknowledge the roots of how I got there. And they weren't pretty. Yeah. yeah. And in acknowledging those roots and reflecting on them, um, would you say, you know, you're able, we were talking about this a moment before the recording started here, but Talk us through that wisdom. I, I'm so curious, like, what the word wisdom means to you, first of all. So I can, like, for an example, when if you had talked to me, I'm 30 now, so, like, even if you had talked to me at 18 years old, you know, I, I would have told you I was wise. I knew, supposedly, I knew a whole bunch of stuff, but... We always do when we're 18, right? <laughs> we know everything. Oh, yeah, <laughs> even in my 20s. But, um, you know, 18-year-olds would have looked at a walking red flag, like a clear walking red flag, and let him right in. Let's be best friends. Let's go through a whole experience. Um, let's make all the mistakes. Let's see where it goes. Me now, having had those experiences with those people, having, you know, tried some things that clearly didn't work out, I can spot it now because I'm wise and I learned from it. Instead of continuing down the road, I detached myself from those people. I moved away and I surrounded myself with new people and I was able to notice the differences. Oh, these people do things very differently than those people did. These people are successful, those people aren't. And I started to really pick and choose and acknowledge what I wanted in my life. Did I want more of those or did I want some of this new stuff? And uh it became so much easier to see the red flags and what I didn't want once I got to truly acknowledge what I do want, if that makes any sense. Once it I was surrounded by good people, it made it really easy to be like, that's not it. <laughs> so you're, you know, you're an energy practitioner now. I happen to know that because I was, I was involved in that process for you. But don't you were my very first Reiki healing ever. Oh well, see, that's such an honor. But but what's so interesting is when you start to work with energy and recognize energy in yourself and in other people, that becomes so much more clear. Right? You can feel it when it's a positive energy that's that's that you're encountering. You can feel it when it's not. And, and just having that sensitivity, right, that that's, I think, a big life learning that you've, I know, because I've witnessed it with, yeah. with you and for you. And I think a huge thing about my journey with you is when I met you, I was still in that really bad place. I was kind of just getting out of, like, you know, the bad parts of my story, and I didn't know where to go. And, like, you know, I had a I, even myself, I'm sure you knew, my energy changed. And as I watched my energy change, it changed my whole world, so I know it's possible. I remember that moment when I met you. How, how did it start to shift? Do you remember? So I walked into Jen's Wellness Center on a total fluke. I was like really, I was just in a bad place. I needed a massage, and it was at Chillin' Walpole, and the lady was like, hey, you know, my boss has been talking about this place. They're having this fifth anniversary party, but I'm scared to go alone. I don't have anyone after you. Do you want to go with me? I was like, eh. What the hell? I've got nothing to lose. It was their fifth anniversary party at We Breathe Wellness. And then 
I started just talking to people and they were so unbelievably kind. And that was that first m real moment in my life where I was like, huh, I had all of that red flags. And this was like the first door opening to like green flags, good people, like people who had good energy, people who weren't just in these toxic, repetitive cycles going nowhere in life. These are people I could learn from. And I learned a lot. Maybe you felt seen and heard and, and, I did. and um, respected I by, did. by complete strangers. Yeah, and that had never happened yeah. before. I think there's something really profound and powerful, too, with when the awareness of shifting energy, mentality, emotional feeling, etc., is then paired with action, aligned action, yes. which I'm hearing a lot. A lot from you, even in that back a couple minutes ago, you were talking about recognizing contrast and aligning with what's feeling good. And, and you just said breaking out of pattern. So was I'm sure I already have answered the question, but the process of that, right, like recognizing and then taking aligned action. I'm not really sure what my question is. I think I'm just hearing that. Yeah, that you well, did that. So absolutely, that's like what manifesting is all about, right? It's it's setting intentions and desires for what it is you want to achieve, but you have to take aligned action to move yourself through the, the stuck stuff. And honestly, the biggest thing that I ever got from you in the Wellness Center was when I arrived there, I didn't just arrive there broken. I arrived there totally numb. I could not feel a thing. I could watch someone die in front of me. And just go have a cupcake and take a nap. I could not feel a thing because I had spent my entire life and teenhood blocking everything out. And it was, the truth is, one of the hardest things I've ever done, but the most worthwhile thing i ever done, was allow myself to feel. Oh. Because before you can heal, you have to feel it and go through it. And I've learned to feel not just the good, but the bad and I've learned to like through Jen and really everyone at the center I've learned to trust in something greater that even on my worst days even when I'm feeling bad it's okay to feel through it and it's I'm still gonna wake up and be okay after the next day yeah. the biggest thing for me the biggest thing in my journey and what led me in my transition was going from numb to allowing myself to feel how, how did you do that do you so much work and showing up for myself. So, like, I have no, there was no key logical reason for me to keep showing up to the wellness center, but there was no key logical reason for me to ask Jen for my very first Reiki healing. But just something in me was just like, do it. You got nothing to lose. So, the more I kept showing up for myself after that first Reiki healing, then there's a woman named Becky. She was teaching sacred geometry, actually. <laughs> Ironically, I just took all of her classes that she ever gave me out today, and I've been rereading them. Um, I started learning about chakras and sacred geometry and then the Akashic Records and just all these things that just, for no logical reason, just like my soul's like, hey, you know, this, this is cool. We got to explore this. I, st I just started showing up, and then when I hit the Akashic Records, and then I learned I could actually read them, I was like, oh my god, like, I, th there's something else to being human now. There's another level to this, and that's when I learned to start incorporating spirit, and I learned about meditation and spirit guides, like, but it all started with me breaking the numb, 
and it took a really long time. Mm. It's been a, a two-year, two-and-a-half-year journey for you. And, yeah. And I'm honored that I've begin, been able to, to, to observe your growth and transformation because it's what this is all about, right? We hold community and space for one another to find, um, to discover, to, to grow, to learn. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful process. Yeah, and like the story of it too. And that's mm. why I'm like so grateful that you're receptive to my how questions, right? Yeah. Because that's like making me really think about the power of storytelling. Like you've read an excerpt of your story and as we're continuing to talk, you know, like that's the story, like the pivotal moments of like describe to me, how did you do that? And I think that that is yeah. so powerful Absolutely. for, you know, other people to learn from not and, and for us to reflect and be like, Hell yeah, like, that is how I did that, that self-empowerment, but also, like, to hear, like, okay, if she could do it, I can do that, too, you know? And not saying you have to hit rock bottom, but I think, for me, it just got to the point where I had nothing left to lose, so, like, Mm. why not try something new and show up for myself? Right. And look can't, can't go any further down. I'm not saying get rock bottom, you know, right. do it before that, but <laughs> for me. Yeah. Well, I think we all, it's all our own journey. Yeah, it's all our own journey. Yeah. I, I have a question. Um, so you were also fortunate to be a part of our book launch where you got to stand up and not only write your story, but read your story. I'm so curious. Um how, like, the feedback that you've gotten from readers or listeners, you know, once you sort of proclaimed and shared your truth, how was how have those reactions impacted your own sort of, I guess, um, perception of, of the act of writing and sharing your story? Honestly, I, I, I knew that writing could be inspiring, but I always, I just... I didn't know that I could ever inspire in that way. And the fact that people actually took the time to read it, even wanted to order it to begin with, the fact that people, I found out people actually had interest in mine and all these other people's lives. It was interesting to me because nobody had ever, all these people were interested. Everyone was like, had great response, but nobody had ever asked me about my life. Ah, Sometimes I wonder why it takes, you know, publishing a, a book or a story. I... And it made me think about me a little bit and, like, if I'm as approachable as I want to be. And, again, it made me start realizing some things. But, um, you know, it's been really cool. But sometimes I wish um, people would have just been happy to approach me without needing to, like, buy a book, have it in hand. Like, I could have had this conversation with anybody and I would have. But it's... I think it's writing's a really good way for people who are, like want to see you but don't have the courage to step to your face to still see you. Mm. I think it's cool. Yeah. That is really cool. And you're making me think so much about, you know, those basic human desires to be seen, heard, and understood. Absolutely. And that's so much about our story. And what you just shared, I think, is so true of the human condition of wanting to be asked, you know, wanting to be invited in and to share because that being seen, right, and being known, it's so, like, intimate and it's also just so human, you know, to desire that. So talk about a compassionate act that we can do for other people on a more regular basis, I think, is to ask them about their story. Yes. You know, I think that's a practice. I try and think about that a lot. Yeah, and to listen and to learn from what 
it is they have to share with you. Yeah, it's a really loving act, it I is. think, you know. It is. Yeah. So thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. And then also, like, I just from reading, I knew, like, a lot of these women prior, but I didn't know them in that way. So this also, like, even if you know someone really well in person, I also realized that if you read their story, you could realize things in a totally different perspective about them that you maybe would have never known sitting down in person. So I think it goes both ways. That's the truth, you know. It's this idea of um, when you can kind of pull yourself out of that pattern of, you know, of thinking and just be free to share who you are because it's not, you know, the things that happen to us, they don't define us as good or bad. They're just our experiences that, to your point, bring us wisdom, right? We gain insight through these things. So if we can sort of separate ourselves from the fear of judgment and just share more openly with one another, those conscious connections that we're all seeking are much more likely to unfold, right? A hundred percent, yeah. And, you know, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I knew, like, when I chose to be honest about this book, I I would probably, you know, lose some supporters. I'm I'm sure there were people who were like, oh, she's she's a red flag, goodbye. But you know what? At the end of the day, you can't really control what happens to her or what cards you get handed, but you can absolutely control how you play them and how you react and respond to them. And I knew that sharing this, yeah, I might lose some people, but with the state of the world today, the amount of people that would benefit from me telling the truth far outweighed it. So I just didn't care anymore because I knew that those were the more important people, the ones who would benefit. I'm truly honored that you stepped up and accepted our invitation to be a part of that first un- first anthology and your um, and the wisdom that you've shared with us in your story, but also just as a member of our community and um, just keep doing what you're doing. You have lots of years ahead of you to make positive impact. Yeah, you're you, such a light. Yeah. It's amazing just sitting next to you. It's incredible. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. The stories in the She Breathes Soul Stories from Triumph to Transformation Anthology are real, raw, and powerful. If you'd like to hear more and hear the complete versions of the excerpts sampled in this episode, head over to Amazon where you can order your copy today. The following story references circumstances of sexual abuse from the storyteller's personal experiences. We understand this can be highly sensitive content for some listeners. Therefore, discretion is advised. We're sending our love to you. Our next storyteller is Julie Grimm, a spiritual guide in the modern mystery school. The title of her story is Becoming Whole, which focuses on embracing all aspects of self. Julie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Hello. Good to see you. We can't wait to hear... um, this this excerpt of your story and talk to you in detail, a little more detail after. Alrighty, let's get to it. Yeah. So at 26, I had a spiritual awakening and it shook me out of my quote unquote normal life and sent me on a journey to explore those inner worlds I had not yet gone to. I say I'd been living a normal life up until that point, which is true in so many ways as I now see many of us are living with our own demons, suffering daily and unable to free ourselves from our own pain choosing instead to numb and ultimately avoid our true selves. 
The truth was I wasn't okay. As a child, I was sexually abused by someone close to me, and that unhealed trauma seeped into all aspects of my life. Relationships, self-worth, money, and identity, to name a few. Most obviously, and for clear reasons, it especially seeped into my sex life. There were so many articles that I had read when I was younger about how 20 to 30% of women couldn't orgasm from sex, and I figured it must just be me. There must be something inherent in my wiring that blocks me from what is normal for others. I took the data point of anorgasmic woman as a fact to resign myself to, and it didn't dig too much further. I was programmed to look at sex from a purely physical and functional perspective. More than that, my generation boldly proclaimed, I can have sex with whoever I like. Sleeping around is empowering. I felt that having casual, casual sex with people who didn't honor me was actually an expression of my liberation and freedom. I could devalue and ignore my own desires and emotions in the name of freedom. But in unconsciously acting from these programs and my own trauma, I avoided the deeper work of acknowledging what my true needs were and having to verbalize those to another person. In essence, I could hide from others and, most importantly, from myself. A deeper consequence of the abuse was that an aspect of my mind had to always be in control. In order to feel safe, my mind had to keep a tight hold on my life, which kept me from dipping into dangerous emotions and feelings. I couldn't let go. I could build up a certain amount of pleasure, but I couldn't allow myself to release it. Perhaps a part of me knew that if I did let go of control, those memories I was repressing and that enormous power within me would be free, and it would mean the destruction of all that had kept me safe those 26 years. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, my pleasure. This whole process takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? To write the story, to share the story with complete strangers. Yeah, Yeah, it takes a lot of courage. And I will say, um, I'm not sure how others related to it. But I also took some time for myself to reflect whether it would serve. Yes, to share the the story. Um, I never went through AA, but I know a lot of people who went through AA. And one of they do do a lot of storytelling as part of that healing process. And one quote that I heard from one of my friends is share the message, not the mess. So that's what I tried to focus on. It's like, okay, if I'm going to share this story, I want to share what's the key message that I'm trying to get across to people versus drag them through baggage or something Mm. like that. Mm. Absolutely. Yes, and share enough for it to be relatable. Which it is. Which it is. By the way. So much so. (laughs) Yeah. And to, yeah, to be able to see it through, through your eyes, but at the same time focus on the message. I think that's such an art within itself. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. I don't know that you get that on the first go around. But at least for me, it's like, you know, I'm a spiritual guide. I guide people through their own journey of tapping into their true essence, becoming whole in themselves. And there's a point where it's like an overshare. I mm. have to hold a, a line because it's like, does that serve my client to know that about me? Right. And does it serve other people to know this about me? So reflecting for myself, am I going to share this? Am I not going to share it? It was really important that it's like, okay, what's the key takeaway that other people who might identify aspects of themselves within my story can can get? And for me, what I really wanted is that people could know they could heal, that there was another side. And, um, you know, for me, so part of my healing journey was that I started to heal my sexual abuse even before I was aware of it so that, you know, we're led into our own healing process without necessarily even knowing what's deeply underneath it so that I, for example, through my own spiritual awakening, had a sexual awakening 
right? Mm. And so years later, when all these memories surfaced, I was like, oh, all these dots connected that um, there was this key part of myself that was basically being held under lock and key by myself. By your subconscious. By my subconscious mind. But I had already begun that process of liberating it without understanding that that's what I was doing. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. And unfortunately, in my (laughs) reading stories about uh, sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse, it's incredibly common. And so I'm sure a lot of actually people can relate to it um, on those practical levels of of embodying your own sexuality, but then the deeper layers of healing that trauma as well. And it, that's so interesting, too, because, you know, when we talk about healing, we're, uh, you know, sort of we automatically think about our brain, right, talking through what happened to us and and processing that with maybe a therapist or a professional. But in reality, that kind of trauma is in your body. Yeah. Like that resides in your body. And so that's a whole different level of unraveling and work that you need to do to, you know, to process that healing. And 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 it's it's just not as simple as people make it oh, it's not make it out to be. And so your body had already started, begun that process of, right, right. Of, of that sort of like I I need to address this, and I need to feel these things, and I need to understand why I'm responding in a certain way. And then you're you know it, it's just healing is an ongoing process and journey, and um and it's just not about our heads. No, we uh, can't just right. fix it in our in, with our beautiful brains, which we would like to think 700%, we can. 700%. Right? 700%. So it's like me having access to the memories opened up something profound. And yet I was able to do so much even before that through my body and actually through spiritual healing. Yeah. Because it's like we're mind, body, soul. Of course. And we in Western culture love to go mind. Yeah, let's yes. go for the we live mind. from the head, the neck up. I say, <laughs> and it's wonderful, great. There, yeah. I'm not going to ditch or yeah. disparage therapy, but it only goes so far. And Indeed. even retrospect, when I had access to those memories, I've done you know therapy. It only goes so far. So far, yeah. Right. Same, yeah. same experience for yeah. me. Absolutely. Yeah. And like tapping into the somatic elements, huge are huge. What would you say for somebody listening who is like that's piquing their interest, but they don't really know, you know, how to even start entering that world of the somatic side? Is there something you would suggest? Well, I mean, I'm an energy healer. It's not yeah. necessarily somatic. This is where it gets into the spiritual because, okay. for example, you are never not whole right. at the level of spirit. You are never not whole. And uh, when we are filling essentially those aspects that have been in the closet, so to speak, of your own subconscious mind, what you're really doing is just filling it with light. You're bringing light to that. So it could be conscious awareness. That's light. It could, but it could be spiritual light. Could be this really kind of vast thing. Meditation is great for that. Um, And then I'm a spiritual healer. That's what I do. I help to fill your vessel with spiritual light. The light goes where it needs to go. It illuminates what it needs to illuminate and it brings up and clears what needs to be cleared. Somatic work, I'm not a somatic healer, but I have worked with somatic healers. I've done um, somatic therapy, somatic experiencing. It's really great for releasing trapped emotions. And still, I think all of these services need to be used in a complementary system. And when we do that, that's when we're really able to achieve breakthrough and healing. So I remember I was working with this woman. She's a yoga teacher. She's like, Julie, isn't it too much? Don't you ever feel like it's too much to say you're a healer? Like you're just going to heal people? 
And I was like, on the one level, absolutely not. Because that mindset that something's impossible to heal. Exactly. There's a limiting belief. Is hugely limiting belief. Hugely limiting belief. And something like childhood sexual abuse can create that sense of like, I'm broken. That this is never going to work. I I can't can't be fixed. I can't be fixed. I can't ever get through this. And the truth is that's matter of fact, absolutely not true. And more than that, I actually believe that um, because you've, it's like we, we live in polarity, right? So you can imagine um, a a rope swinging from one end, one extreme to another. Mm -hmm. So if you've lived your life holding fast to one extreme, for example, like your sexual energy has been very deeply repressed. It's been tampered with it's you feel like it's been broken that means that the other extreme is available to you yes in a way that it might not be available to people who've not had to do that super deep work to open it up and i have discovered this and experienced this where it's like i've had energy orgasms from straight just energy because mm-hmm. i had to do so much work on my own sexual energy and how i experienced pleasure so it's like not only is it limiting to say I can't heal, but you can heal and you mm. can heal and how much higher can Absolutely. you go? Absolutely. It's an, uh, it's, it, I am a somatic therapy practitioner and an energy healer. And I'm telling you, the reason I even furthered my study to, to learn the somatics is because we are so expansive and it isn't just one thing and it doesn't just our, it doesn't just work in our spirit or our brain or our body it has to all be interconnected and that's the beautiful just that's just the beautiful landscape of this of this whole world of learning to to identify our painful life events and our trauma and our stories and then to seek out people who can help us facilitate our own healing you know, we're facilitating. I feel like we're facilitating. We're and the more we learn, the more we can help other people. And yeah, it's just an amazing process, um, for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot about about this, and so I'm thinking about the concept of wholeness. And as you said a second ago, which I loved, it's like we are always whole. That's. Do you feel like it's like a process of remembering that? Do you think it's a process of accepting that? Do you think it's a process of you know, seeing things that we might categorize as not as good and integrating them and accepting them as part of our, yes, our experience. Yes, and, yes, and, yes. <laughs> okay. And, and at the same time, too, I just want to caveat all of that. There, um, it's a process. And mm. so at the level of spirit, yes, we are always whole. But then here in physicality, we often have that experience of not being whole. So, you know, I don't want to just steamroller that and go, you're always whole. Now I would just click my fingers and you're whole, right? Because that's also not really honoring what's happening down here at the level of physicality. At the level of physicality, we forgot big time, hmm. big time. We forgot whether or not, I mean, every person on this earth has had trauma, so you it's exactly. happened. But, but even without that, we forgot. Right. And so it's a huge remembering process and it does take effort. And it does take dedication and it does take commitment to see yourself through what is going to be painful. Mm. It will be painful. The integration of what you have actively um, pushed out from your experience, whether because you're ashamed of it, you've been told it was bad, it was wrong, whatever the stories is around it, it will be painful to bring it back in. But that pain is less than the pain of living an entire life without it. 
It's so true. And and shame is a big piece of this. Also, the fact that we we you know we have all we're we're more than one thing we're more than we're we're multidisciplinary people and individuals and souls we have so many parts to us you know there's um a lot of work done called internal family systems i'm sure you guys have heard about that where we have to literally meet and honor all of those parts you know of our soul of our spirit and um and some of them are repressing and us and some of them are you know taking charge and the whole ego and it's it's just a, there's a lot of um, a lot to learn, and it is an ongoing journey. And um, and I, I also, the other thing I wanted to mention is I think so many of us who have dealt with, not dealt, are dealing with our painful life and events and our trauma are the people who are coming to want to support others because we are recognizing all, like you said, there's it's endless possibilities of how we can help ourselves and then help one another. So I have also noticed a lot of healers or people who are doing this work, it's because they've begun their unraveling and the work that they're doing for themselves is helping them to help other people. Right. Would, you, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And then too, it's like the people who come to me. So that was an interesting thing too in my healing journey. I was already working as an energy healer. It Honestly, my memories were so deeply repressed. I was like, we don't ever want to know that. But then an, an aspect of me was like, no, I do want to know that. So it's kind of like I was banging on this wall for a really long time. Like, I don't know what's on the other side, but it feels important. And um, many of the women that I worked with were sexually abused. Of course. And so when, when the memory surfaced, I was like, ding, 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 ding. And that's the crazy thing, too, that I was already helping these people right. because I had taken certain steps. Like we talked about that, you know, healing within myself without even really knowing what was the cause of it, mm. um, that I could still hold the light for other people. And I think that's what it is that we in our healing journey, we blaze a path. And then it's like, my path is nobody else's path, but I can say, hey, look, this is what the trail looked like. It got really muddy over there. Just an FYI, you might want to steer clear of that one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and go I had, right, go right. <laughs> I had to duck down and over yeah. here, it's really, really hard. But if you just keep going, you'll get to the other side. You'll be so right. grateful that you did. Yeah. And it's like, if I didn't, if I didn't do that for myself, I couldn't in with the same integrity support another person to go through that and so on some level you know if i'm reflecting on a more spiritual aspect about uh, this experience of sexual abuse maybe part of me chose it maybe part of me chose it in order to, because so many people have been through this. Maybe your soul chose it, that that was part of this energy body experience for you. Maybe part of me, an aspect of me was like, this needs to go, people. This needs to stop, hard stop. Let's transform this. And uh, yeah, I can't, I mean, I don't know that definitively, but there's definitely, that's part of me sharing this story as well as like, there's a lot of people out there who might feel hopeless, who might feel like I'm never going to get to the other side of this, who might feel like um, this defines me. Mm. This is my identity. Right. And it's like, no, it's not. It's so not at all. And you can absolutely transform it and then transform it and transform it and imagine imagine the the readers out there who who read this story who do resonate and who are like whoa look at the courage this woman had to share what she's been through what julie's been through and how she's 
overcome it and the transformation that she's gone through for herself and the work that she's doing to help others transform. Like that is so meaningful. That's the power of storytelling, right? That connection that we need so desperately with one another Mm, and seeing you know if if she can do it i can do it like and that's kind of going back to the start of our conversation like where that like that balance between the mess and the message you know enough detail Mm. where a reader can say oh my god i could see myself in that same space in that room in that you know car wherever and resonate and lock in and be like okay i see myself here and then to get the breath of the story of like what you know, you or the storyteller was able yeah. to do with it. That's like what you were describing again a second ago, a bit of a roadmap of like, okay, if they can do it, I can do it too. And that's extremely, yep. extremely important. And going back to the comment about shame and just completely Huge. releasing that and accepting all of these parts of our experiences and ourselves as part of our whole our whole experience here and, and whatnot. And it's, yeah. it's very true. You know, when I wrote my first book, it was, you know, the, I know I'm sure anyone who does this, it's, you go through those moments of like, mm, do I really want to do this? And to your point, how is this going to serve other people? But putting it all out there, releasing yourself from that shame, from those limiting beliefs, from the how are everyone else going to receive me is so freeing and liberating, right? Because then you're like, this is who I am and this is what I, it's, and it doesn't define me as a human. It's just my experiences, my life, what happened, how it shaped me and how I'm moving through it. I'm moving the energy of it. That's a very powerful message for those who are high, are still, you know, feeling, hiding, hiding to stay safe. Hiding, but then also I do think that, so that's the other aspect of all of this, that there is a point where silence is medicine. Yes. Silence, we need to honor ourselves and silence can be an honoring. Yes. And so there's, um, you know, again, so sexual abuse. Okay. So family systems where sexual abuse occurs regularly, silence is actually a weapon mm-hmm. that um, the abuse happens, but then silence allows it to perpetuate because there's like a, within the family dynamic, I'm not talking about just the the small kid. I'm talking about there's a dynamic that's already very much at play. And so silence is actually like part and parcel with the abuse and allows it to perpetuate. So clearly not always great silence. And yet, wow, silence can be so important because it's giving ourselves space and time to honor ourselves within the process. Like I think about a little seed growing up. The little seed can't weather a big storm. If somebody comes and steps on the little seed, man, it's squashed. It's not a tree yet. It doesn't have that structure. And so within our healing journey, there are times where we are very fragile. We are very vulnerable. It might not be appropriate. Might not be the right time. For you to share. Absolutely. And so that's why for myself. We don't want to add more shame to the shame, right? right. Like this is, that is not the intent. (laughs) Right. And so, but there is a certain moment of arrival. Yes. And and I don't know that we ever really know that for ourselves because there's going to be fear to your point. Yeah. And uh, so you kind of just got to test the waters maybe. But I, I think for myself, so one um, thing that really unlocked these memories, because they had come up and I went, nah, they're messy. They're scrambled. It's not mm. like, you know, yeah. and that's not like I got technicolor sexual abuse memories. I'm just like, oh, a little whiff of that, a little whiff of this. Nope, squash it, put it back mm. in the closet, lock it up real good. And uh, it was really easy for me to say, no, no, that didn't happen. 
So I was doing a healing session with this woman. She was facilitating it for me. And that's when it was like, whoosh, we opened that lock together. And uh, at the end of the session, she's like, you know, you need to wear this as a badge of honor, actually. And so that's something that I've taken with me. And it's not like I started to share right then and there. But over time, as I integrated that within myself, it's like, no, this is a badge of honor, actually. Um, you know, and then that whole thing that we've been talking about, about sharing and how that can facilitate somebody else within their process. But mm. I do think there is certain a certain aspect where it's like, yeah, I made it through. Exactly. It's the triumph. Look, it's the triumph. where I'm at. Like, it's I'm okay. Tri- I know. And you're helping yeah. other people. Right. Which is, you know, yeah. That's so, so true. Very and I powerful. love that, par- like the paradox of silence. Mm, it's just too. so important to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you People for have to up. be ready. You know, it's like we have to be ready to face the things that are hard. Um, and some people never get there. It's just the reality. Um, but and I think what you mentioned earlier, too, is just having somebody else facilitate that healing with you and being there for you and holding that sacred space for you to let it come to the surface. Right. So if I needed it. Yeah. I needed that because um, I wasn't I, I, it's like I didn't trust myself enough to go there on my own. Mm. And again, you know, sexual abuse, it, it's happened in relationship. Mm. So it's something that happens solo. It's happening with another person. And so there's like a really big focus on the dynamic between you and other people, letting other people in, intimacy, opening up. And I do think that you need, there is an aspect where you need another person there to repair as well. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just such an empowering process of, like you said, growth and and evolution for people to, um, to work through it in that way. So thank you so much. Such an honor. Thank you for having me. The stories in the She Breathes Soul Stories from Triumph to Transformation Anthology are real, raw, and powerful. If you'd like to hear more and hear the complete versions of the excerpts sampled in this episode, head over to Amazon where you can order your copy today. And do you have a story to tell? Give us a call at the We Breathe Wellness Center at 508-343-7211 or send us an email at jen at jengulbrand.com. That's J-E-N-N at J-E-N-N-G-U-L-B-R-A-N-D dot com. We can't wait to hear from you. 